0: Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff. The company I'm in charge of is Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information on my company or to check out the products that we sell, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And tonight, I have two co-hosts again. We get graced with Carrie Hoppy one more time, and we already have Brad. Brad's a consistent producer here on the podcast, but Carrie's the only one around here that has fans, so we have to keep bringing her back. The, uh, <laughs> the company they're in charge of is Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want more information on Muskie Mayhem Tackle, check out muskymayhemtackle.com. We do have a guest tonight. His name is Kurt Schultz with Kurt's Guiding. He guides primarily on the Wisconsin River up in northern Wisconsin around the Wausau area. He's also a licensed U.S. captain for uh, Green Bay. So he guides, does some guiding out on Green Bay also, and we'll get him on shortly. But for now, we're just going to talk a little bit about, we're going to wrap up some loose ends, talk about Christmas we wanna thank everybody that came out and supported us for the Black Friday sales. I know that both of us had, you know, good web traffic and a bunch of sales and I had to work a lot harder than my wife wanted me to work to get everything out. And um, but you guys have your some wife
1: s- wanted you to work or your wife wanted to work?
0: Well, my wife didn't really want me to work. She didn't really want to work. She said, um, we kinda already got enough stuff to deal with these days. What are you doing running sales? I don't want any more orders to pack and I said, Well, <laughs> That's too bad. You just have to deal with it. Suck it up. So (laughs) she did. And here we are. We made it through. I mean, Black Friday is over. The sale thing is over. Now it's uh, some Christmas sales. That's kind of what we're going to talk about here a little bit in the beginning. So Carrie and Brad, why don't you guys talk a little bit about those um, pro staff packs or lake packs that you guys have on your website now if somebody's looking for a Christmas gift. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about Team Rhino Outdoors and then we'll get Kurt on.
2: Yeah, basically, you know, it was Carrie's idea, and I think it's a good sound idea. Unfortunately, we didn't get all of them out before Black Friday, but we went to our pro staff, and what we did is we asked them, they all fish in specific areas, and basically asked them to put together a a pack of baits that they would recommend for that area that they fish in. I think it, it kind of went over pretty well, and from there, we kind of started a starter kit as well. So that starter kit, what it consists of, is basically what we feel the average Joe Blow, if you will, or the average consumer just getting into musky fishing. That starter kit will basically get them on their feet and rolling with Musky Man products.
0: Basically, with your lake packs, you kind of have. I would imagine you have the variety of the Musky World covered: Minnesota, Wisconsin, St. Clair, Green Bay, all that.
2: That is correct. We're pretty uh, fortunate to have. A great, solid pro staff. Um, these guys are—they're on the water every day. They know what's going on, and when it comes to the blade bite, they choose Musky Mayhem products. We are—we can't be fortunate enough. Um, we really appreciate the, our pro staff out there.
0: And if anybody wants to get in touch, you get find them. They just head out directly to your website, I'm assuming, and you can find them right there.
2: That is correct as well. Basically, you can go right to MuskyMayhemTackle.com. And those kits are available. Carrie, can you share kind of how they look them up?
1: Yep. There's a, on the menu, there's a bait packages menu tab and you'll find them all under there. And as, as we gain more pro staff, then we'll gain more packages.
0: Excellent. If you guys are interested in gift cards, you can check out Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find some gift cards. It's an e-gift card. So you can send that right out to your, you know, whatever you want to get it to your email. You can get it literally if it's December 24th and you need something for Christmas Day, or even if it's Christmas Day and you need something for Christmas Day, if you have access to a printer, a cell phone, an email, whatever, you just go on there get your gift card printed out. I'd imagine you guys have the same option for customers on your end, right, Carrie?
1: We do. We do, yeah. Same thing. It's an e-gift card. So, yeah, if you want it Christmas Day or need it need it Christmas Day, as long as you have access to a printer or an, are able to forward an email, you can uh, you can get those immediately.
2: That's a that's a pretty slick deal. I, I was unaware that you could do it like that. So, I mean, I'm not too involved on that social side, if you will. Not
1: too involved.
0: <laughs> he's not involved at all. I
1: think I think that's called non-existent.
0: Yeah, he's not involved at all.
2: <laughs> that's not true. I had to come up with a kit.
0: So yeah, heck, he can't even can set up his own voicemail on his phone. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can. I choose not to, Jeff. I'm training people to text
0: me. Hold up. Well, it works. <laughs> so, anyways, getting back to uh Christmas, if people are looking to get gifts from either us, Team Rhino Outdoors or Muskie Mayhem Tackle, I know that for a fact that USPS is running behind, UPS is running behind. It's we'll we'll ship everything daily and we'll try to do everything we can to make sure you get it to Christmas, but we prefer that you don't delay a ton longer than what you hear this podcast because right now I know even priority mail is taken up to a week right now with USPS, and I had some UPS packages that were supposed to get delivered last Tuesday, and they finally came yesterday, and for anybody that cares, this is probably the most recent, or most up-to-date podcast you're ever going to get. Today is December 10th, tomorrow's December 11th, it's literally 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we have less than, what is that, 9 hours probably, 10 hours? Oh no, wait, hold on, we got 14 hours to get this one out, so... I gotta get to editing as soon as we're done here, but anyway, so that's what that's the latest. Today's December tenth. If you guys need stuff for Christmas, don't delay. Get either hit up muskymayhemtackle.com, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We can get you your stuff out yet for Christmas. And one last thing, we should probably talk about would be shows. I think the first show for both of us is gonna be the Chicago Musky Show. I don't exactly have the dates. I'm guessing it's somewhere in January. What 17th, 18th, 19th, somewhere in there. Anybody know? I, I think that's what it is, but I'm going to look right now. I think it's the third weekend, correct? Uh, Yeah, I believe so, because it's a short week to the first week, and then the second weekend, I think, is Ohio, so I think we're the third. Yeah,
2: that's what I believe it is. Um, I'm looking, I'm
0: looking. So for any of our Ohio listeners, neither of us are going to be in Ohio. We were in Ohio last year. Unfortunately, I can't find too many people that are willing to make the trip to Ohio with us. I wanted to be there again this year, but it just didn't happen. So our first show of the year for both Team Rhino Outdoors, Muskie Mayhem Tackle would be in Chicago, and that's at, um, where the heck is that? What's the place called in Chicago? Is it Pheasant Run? There you go, Pheasant Run. I knew somebody would be able to help me out. Anyways, so it's Um, at Pheasant Run. and Carrie's going to give us the dates.
1: The dates are Friday, January 17th through Sunday, January 19th. I have to correct you a little bit, though. We personally won't be in Ohio. But John Betty from Stealth Tackle will have some Musky Mayhem Tackle stuff in Ohio for us. So if you're looking for Musky Mayhem Tackle, look up John's booth and he should have it there for you.
0: Well, that's even more <laughs> special to me because nobody is going to have Team Rhino Outdoors custom colors in their booth for me. I don't, I'm not that special. <laughs> Apparently nobody wants to take 40 feet of booth to set up for me. I don't understand.
1: No, we we get a couple feet from John, so 40 to a couple, you know.
0: John's really multi-talented. He's going to have some aqua traction mat with him. He's going to have your stuff. He's going to have his own stealth tackle stuff. Like, holy cow. Might as well just go visit John's booth and then hit the road.
2: (laughs) It sounds like he's going to be direct competition to Team Rhino Outdoors.
0: It (laughs) It does. It sounds that way. Him and I are going to have to have a talk. I don't think so. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not too worried. Anyways, he'll let's, get a chuckle
2: out of that, though.
0: He should. He doesn't listen to the podcast, anyways. He's too cool for that.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Say, I only listen to it when I when I'm on it.
0: I have to you listen mean, to that's... it like three times.
1: Well, that's because you're the editor and
0: yeah. chief. I'm not the chief. I'm just the <laughs> I'm just like the gopher.
1: So do you want the dates for the Milwaukee show? Since
0: I'm here, I mean, we might as well give them. We'll give them a few more times. We're actually, I think, we're gonna maybe even try to talk to. Mike, the promoter from the Chicago and Milwaukee shows, aren't we, maybe? Didn't we talk about that briefly?
2: Yeah, I think it would it'd be a good idea.
0: Let me give people a, you know, kind of an overview if you're new to muskie fishing, what's going on at these shows. I don't want to get too crazy talking about shows yet. It's not quite January. Maybe in one of the next two or three episodes we'll talk more and more about shows, but we just want to give everybody an idea, something to mark down on their calendar. But, Kerry, why don't you give us the Milwaukee date shows, and then we'll go... We'll go dial up Kurt and talk to him.
1: Milwaukee Muskie Expo is February 15th through
0: the 17th. Sounds good. I guess the only thing, other show that we want to talk about just two other ones that will that Team Rhino Outdoors will be visiting, and that would be the uh, Wisconsin Muskie Expo in Wausau. That's sometime early March, March, I don't know, I want to say 7th, 8th, and 9th. And then we're in Minnesota along with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. That one is at the end of the month. They moved it. It used to be back to back with Wisconsin. Now it's towards the end of March. March 27, 28, and 29. There you go. So all right. There you go. We got a few announcements out of the way. Hopefully, we didn't bore you too much. This is, I think, episode number 36. We appreciate everybody listening this long. And uh, let's go talk to Kurt. So our guest tonight is Kurt Schultz with Kurt's Guiding Service out of Wausau, Wisconsin. Kurt's also a licensed U.S. captain. And he does a little bit of fishing out on Green Bay. Kurt, thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So, Kurt, typically when we get a new guest on that we haven't had back on the podcast, we get a, we like to get a background on them a little bit, kind of figure out what they're up to, what they're doing, what got them to where they are now, what got you into muskie fishing, what got you into fishing in general, because as far as I know, do you primarily only guide for muskies or do you kind of give it a, is it a multi-species deal also?
3: Well, I like to guide for pretty much anything, bass, walleye, muskie. Primarily I'm probably known more for muskie, I guess, because uh, that's what I started out doing was pretty much just all muskie. Basically I started back out in 1999 when I first started. Um, I've always loved fishing and spent every hour I could on the water. And basically there was an older gentleman that guided on the Wisconsin River back in 1999 and he basically just needed another guide to help him out. And that's kind of how I started. And in 1999, I only had three guide trips. So that was the first year was three trips. And here I am uh, 20 years later, and I'm running right around 180 to 190 trips uh, open water a year. So keeping keep it pretty busy with that. And basically, it just uh, just grew. Every year, I got more and more people fishing with me. And then I started venturing more into bass and walleye trips, and I spent a lot of time over in Green Bay chasing some walleye and different things and now chasing muskies over there a little bit. And uh, basically, I just fished everywhere I could and just kept learning, got better at it. And to be honest with you, I'm still learning. You know, I, you know, I spend every day on the water. You can always learn new stuff out there.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's the beauty of, I don't care who you are, Kurt. You know, I mean, if you're not learning on the water, probably hang it up. I mean, we're all learning, and I, that's the beauty of musky fishing for sure, and all fishing.
3: Oh, for sure. You know, one thing that I've learned over the years, you know, when I take people musky fishing, and, and, and maybe I'll have some suggestions, hey, we can just throw these lures today, and these you are know, the baits are hot, and they'll say, well, I like this bait, my grandpa gave me this bait, and, and they'll throw that bait, and I'll think, there's no way they're going to catch a musky on that bait. Well, sure enough, within an hour, they catch a musky on that bait, and you think to yourself, well, sometimes you just going to be a little more humble. And realize that just what, you know, all the baits that you want to throw aren't always the best. If there's other baits out there and that people have great, great ideas. And, and sometimes it's amazing. One person will catch a muskie in my boat and the next day I'll go and buy three or four of those lures. So I have them in my boat.
0: Yeah. I can see how that, that would go down like that. Cause like you said, I mean, you never know. Or any different day could, could be a little bit something different.
3: Oh, exactly. Yep. You no, know, for sure. And you know, day to day and, 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 and the patterns that I've seen over the years and certain years how certain baits have just you know one year it'll seem like the bucktail is just on fire and then you can go the very next year and you'll 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 still catch them on bucktails but it might not be as hot as needed the before and then you got a nice top water bite or something like that so one thing i've noticed uh you know and it does seem like there's a little bit more fishing pressure is is the bite can change but in the end some of those old faithful baits they still can produce a lot of fish
0: Well, the one thing let's talk about is equipment in your boat to get out there. So you and I had a conversation, I think it was sometime last, I don't know, April or whatever. I was looking at talking about jet boats. And so I know you run a jet boat. You want to talk a little bit about what you run? And typically, from what I understand, you're fishing super shallow water.
3: Yeah, so I have uh, two John jet boats. Basically, I started out in, when I started out in 1999, I had a 15-horse plot motor. And I just put a, a prop guard on that. And that was the only means of getting down the river. Well, I would generally go through three or four props a year. Well, then I started kind of looking into the jet boats a little bit. And I, I took a jump. And I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, to be honest. And I learned a lot. You know, the first year, first couple of years with the jet boat, you, even though you have that jet boat and you have that jet board, you go through shallow water, you still got to know what you're doing because it, it can still be a dangerous situation if you don't know where you're going and what you're doing. But now having the jet boat and I can get, get in areas and I can go up river and down river and just cover a lot of water that maybe most guys can't. And it's real beneficial to my business.
2: Where are we talking, Kurt? I mean, what, what's the shallowest water you can run that jet?
3: I would say I can really run to about four inches of water uh, as long as I'm going full out. Obviously, you know, pebble rock and, and weeds and stuff like that doesn't bother it any. But if you get those big boulders, you've got to be weary of the big boulders because they can get you on time, especially on real windy days. You got to be able to read the water really well. And that's, you know, obviously with being out there every day, you kind of get to learn the river, you know, exactly where you got to be and where to going. And that's what keeps your equipment in good shape throughout the season.
2: Right. I've had the opportunity to, to do that. It's quite interesting. I mean, if there's somebody out there listening, um, definitely think about hiring Kurt because that's an experience in, in itself is just running the river in a jet boat.
3: Right. I mean, the, 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 true beauty of the river, the Wisconsin river, um, most people just, you know, I'm, I'm in the Was area and it, and most people don't even realize how beautiful it is. Just, just in the Was area north all the way up to basically up the Eagle river. i mean, the Wisconsin river has a lot to offer. You know, I get customers in my boat and they'll come down and I'll take them through about three to four inches of water and they'll look down and they can see the, the pebble rock and they're like, this is unreal. You know, of course, I don't suggest it to the average guy to do that, but when you do it every day and you get comfortable and confident in what you're doing, it, it's really an enjoyable trip out on the river.
0: So, Kurt, what type of boat are you running for guys, you know, oh, looking to maybe get into something like this? What's what's something that you're using?
3: Well, right now I have a G3 Gator. I have a 17-footer that I use a lot, and I also have a roughneck, so I have two different styles of boat. They all serve their purpose. I guess the, the one thing that's interesting nowadays is the John boats are a lot heavier than what they were say, 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Of course, we have all the new gadgets and everything on them and new live wells and, and everything is made for comfort. Um, where the old John boats were, you know, they're pretty much standard. You didn't have a lot of weight and you didn't have a lot of things going on there. So that's one thing that to keep in mind. And then the other thing is, is you know, when you have a jet motor, you lose a lot of power. So when you get two, maybe three guys in your boat and you have a lot of the equipment, a big cooler, all your musky baits. You've got to have a big enough motor to push your boat. That's kind of the biggest thing I've seen over the years. If you don't have a big enough motor, you're not going to get up on plane.
0: And then I would say one other last question I have is the guys looking. I've I've been looking at jet boats, and I know other people look at them too because obviously rivers are something that's kind of unexplored a little bit. Tunnel haul or no tunnel haul? So
3: I do not go with the tunnel haul. I originally, in 2003, when I bought my first boat, my brother lived up in Alaska, and basically he told me that a lot of the guys up in Alaska never use tunnel hauls. So I took his advice and I've had a flat bottom jet since 2003. I think the advantage of maybe having a tunnel, I would say, is that your motor's a little higher up. So when you have a regular flat bottom, your motor's sticking below the boat just a little bit. So if there's a rock down there, a big rock, you could possibly hit it. Whereas if you have a tunnel, the uh, jet actually sticks up and what's going to hit the uh, rock is going to be the boat instead of your motor with a tunnel. So those are kind of the two you know, advantages and disadvantages. And then one thing with the tunnels, you generally always have the steering console uh, in the center of the boat is another thing. Where I have both my boats are side consoles. I like to have a little bit more room be able to walk back and forth and just be comfortable that way.
2: So you're actually using a wheel boat. It's not a tiller. Yeah, correct. I
3: have Both of my boats have steering wheels. I, I have been in some jet boats with tillers, and they work great as well. Um, I like to have a steering wheel, I guess, just because I've always had one. It's, it's good steering and whatnot. It's just like steering a jet ski, basically. But I, I like having a steering wheel, yeah.
2: Interesting. I got a question for you, Kurt. Is there anybody out there using float boats, you know, like uh, you'd see a fly fisherman using?
3: Yeah, I, I, I see more and more drift boats. There's a few guys around. I'll probably see, if I'm out, you know, five, six days during the week, I'll generally see maybe one day a week. I might see a, a, a drift boat here and there or a float boat. Seems like there are more around. Some guys fly fishing. I get a fair amount of fly guys, you know, fly fishermen that'll come with me uh, chase muskies, and and we generally do pretty good. We you only get one or two fish in the boat a day. And anytime you're fly fishing, it's always exciting to, to uh, get a get a to hit. Yeah,
2: there's that's for sure. You know, one of the guests that we had earlier this year was Ben Olson, who has put a ton of time into uh, fly angling for muskies. Um, so there was a lot of interest there as well. But, um,
3: right i mean it, there's a lot of opportunity you know i know a lot of guys uh you know some fly first think they got to be in a drift boat but obviously i think there are some advantages to be honest with you know in the a, in a, in a jungle with the jet motor just for the fact that you can hold guys in position uh really well in, in the current fly fishing and you and you can go up and hit spots again you know a lot of times the drift floats down you're kind of past those areas and it's hard to get back to unless you have a motor
2: do you yep. normally fish upstream or do you go downstream and fish your way back up i mean What's the normal method that you choose usually?
3: You know, to be honest with you, I'll do both. Um, You know, if there's some activity on the river, I see some boats fishing the area, I might go downriver first and fish down there and then go back upriver and fish in different areas. Generally, what I like to do is when I'm fishing the river is, you know, you fish whether you go upriver or downriver, I like to go cover the area. If you get a a nice musket to strike or you see a, a good fish, I try to remember, well, why, why was that fish holding the way it was? There's got to be a reason why. And then generally I'll go to the next spot, the next couple of holes, and I'll fish it the same way. And generally you can always catch a fish or two. Um, a lot of days the muskies will hold the same way in different holes, and it's just, you know, it's something that I've learned over the years. There's patterns to where these muskies are at and what they're doing.
2: That makes sense. How big, are the, how big is the river that you're fishing generally? I mean, is it, you know, 100 feet across, uh, 30 feet across? I mean, what, what's that river look like?
3: Uh, I would say generally it's going to be a hundred feet across. I would say most of the areas. You know, when you go way up river, you can get some narrower spots, but at least a feet for sure. Even maybe even bigger. You know, a lot of the stretches like uh, that I'm fishing. They might be uh, it could be a eleven mile stretch. It could be a seven mile stretch. There's a lot of different stretches of river between dams and different areas. And then you have fast water. You got slow water and all that good stuff. But it, it's pretty good water. I mean, one thing that uh, is interesting about the river up up this way is that it's not very deep. You know, I, I mean, the deepest the deepest area we'll have generally maybe be ten, eleven feet. Um, but for the most part, we're fishing four feet or less all day long.
2: Right. Now, as the season progresses, and normally, I mean, this year is maybe a little different as we talked before we started recording. But normally, those holes become the the key points, just based upon. way the river flows correct but i'm I'm curious you know as the season progresses normally our water levels would kind of transcend right so
3: right i'm wondering
2: you know does it get better as the year goes along or is it something that right from the start with higher water that it's still feasible
3: yeah, we. I start right away the first weekend, last weekend in, uh, in uh, May there. Um, I start musky fishing right away. And to be honest with you, it, it's good from the beginning all the way to the end. This year, we've started with high water. And to be honest, we never got low water this year. I mean, we've never... And, and right now, even by our river right now, it's still high. Obviously, we get some ice now. But we had so much rain this last summer. It was just so consistently high that it was it was kind of amazing to me i I can't ever say i can remember it being this high uh, for the whole entire summer like it was which it made the fishing a little bit different we had to maybe you know figure out their patterns a little differently but the fish were willing to bite so with the high water i i didn't seem to have a huge problem unless it's real high and muddy that's where you, you kind of run into some problems
2: with that rain was it a lot muddier than cloudier than normal
3: Um, not really, because I think it was just so consistently high that we did have a little bit of high, you know, mud in in the darker water maybe a little earlier, but I think the river just got used to that and it was kind of cleaned up and it just never really gotten much muddy after that.
2: What's the primary structure that you fish? I mean, is there good weed beds out there? You mostly fish in rock structure, wood. What what is it that you're generally targeting?
3: I would mostly we're just targeting rock structure. You know, we're we're targeting areas where you you're going to go in like two to three feet of water and then you're going to have little holes that drop down into like maybe four maybe five feet and those holes will run maybe 200 yards 300 yards depending on the hole and just basically figuring out where those fish are holding in those areas kind of their happy place um there is some weeds you know midsummer. there was a good a really good weed base this year and which made the top water bites phenomenal at times and that was fun because we had high water so you're able to throw right over top the weeds with not you know getting a lot of uh weeds in your on your hooks and whatnot so basically targeting mostly rocks early and then as the weeds move in you're targeting the weeds and the rocks and then late season of course then you're targeting just about everything wherever you can find any kind of bait fish or anything that's what you're targeting later on the season.
2: I'm going to guess that you don't deal with the high water temps either you know one of the one of the issues that we can find in some of these lakes you know you start getting into those high water temps and Pretty much, I just shut down fishing, you know, when the water temps get up so high. The river probably doesn't see that fluctuation of temperature. Right, that's one thing that's really cool about the river system. Uh, You're right, it doesn't ever get that
3: really, really that warm. You know, we always got good current. We got good areas that are keeping cool water. We got uh, small trout trout streams coming in that have cool water. So it's consistently, you know, producing that cooler water, which is great. You know, what I do basically in the middle of summer when when my customer catches the fish, is we get them in the net, we get the hooks out, we get our cameras ready, we get everything ready. Before we even think about taking that fish out, we want to make sure that we got everything properly ready so that fish is going to be out of the water, you know, for not even 20 seconds. You know, get that picture up, get that fish up, excuse me, take a picture of them, and uh, get them back in the water.
1: So, Kurt, what about, do you utilize this side imaging like everyone else does then in the river?
3: I use the side imaging. Um, it's It's a little bit harder in the shallower water. Uh, for me, well, like in a little bit deeper holes, so I definitely will scan the water. And, and um, basically, to be honest with you, when I, I fish the river so often, I know where these fish are don't they get me holding, but it is an advantage. If you've got that side imaging and you saw where these fish are, it does help you where you're going to cast, how you get to position your boat. And uh, it's really changed the muskie fishing in general everywhere, having the side imaging.
2: I mean, the technology side of things have just changed the game and in a lot of ways, and you know, Humminbird announced that earlier this year with the 360 Mega. I'm going to do some experimenting with that, Kurt, this summer. I want to run it mid-boat. So basically, yep. if you have, by your council, if you will. And yep. what I'm thinking is, is that I'll be able to use that basically pinpointing where those muskies are laying and casting towards them. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I could see that maybe being beneficial in some of those holes as well. Right, right, for sure. Um, yeah, any, any advantage you can get to find out
3: where those fish are at, I mean, it just makes it for a more exciting day. Um, even showing your customers on the
0: people in your boat, what they can learn. It's just amazing what's out there right now. So Kurt, with this year being high water, how much did that change like fish location from where you typically find them versus, you know, I don't know, say last year or whatever year before, how, how much did you have to learn differently this year because of the, the high water?
3: I wouldn't say that I had to really learn a lot more. Um, I guess I just had to learn where the fish were positioning. You know, where 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 there was water, normally say there was a foot of water, there might now be three feet of water. So I just had to basically spend more time in those areas along the shoreline, to find the pockets, and you know, what's kind of interesting to me too. When you do have high water like this, not only are you fishing the pockets, you know, side eddies and whatnot, it still amazes me how many fish I will catch mid river. And pretty fast currents. When you wouldn't think, why are these muskies hanging out in the, in the middle of the river? It's always kind of amazing to me how we think, you know, the current is too fast for the muskie, but yet the musty, all they have to do is put their nose up river, kick their tail a little bit, and they're, they're, they're fine. And so that's one thing that's always interesting. A lot of guys like to go sea fish the river systems, always kind of hug shoreline. But one thing I, I, I suggest to them is maybe branch out a little bit and try mid-river, even when the high water, when there's high water, because there are fish out there and they are willing to bite.
0: So did that also change your tactics then too? As far as I mean, I would imagine typically you're t- a lot of top waters, a lot of bulldogs, potentially some suix things like that. Yep. Were you did did you end up using more crankbaits, bulldogs, medusas, whatever rubber baits this year, or or did you pretty much find that the same old stuff worked from year to year?
3: Um, I did use a lot more rubber this year. I did use some more weighted stuff. You I mean, normally I'm always using you know shallow shallow dogs, shallow medusas, just different things to you know stay up high. One of the greatest baits this year for me, to be honest, was the weighted Stewart. You know, normally I hardly ever use a weighted Stewart, but when you have high water, you can get away with it. You get that bait down a little bit. It sure makes for a different, you know, a different year for me. It just seemed to me I had to put a little weight on some of my baits this year to get them down a little bit. You're right; I wasn't able to use, you know, my good old all my old top water baits and stuff that. When there's days I needed to get down, I was using weighted weighted baits, pretty much.
0: You know, the few guys that I know of that target fish on the rivers, that's the same kind of thing that we that we saw. I fished a. I wanted to get out with you at one point, but it just didn't work out. But I also fished a trip with Noah Binsfield over in Minnesota, and it was the same kind of thing for him. He uses a lot of, he uses a lot of, you know, bucktails. We caught a few on rabbit squirrels. We caught another one on one that he makes, and he also uses a lot of topwater. And those are like, we started breaking out, you know, bulldogs, and we started breaking out hellhounds, and he was was kind of thrown off a little bit because he's like, typically this isn't what I do. We either throw bucktails or we throw topwater baits through probably 75% of his I, of his season, that's what I would say. He, that's typically tactics he's using.
3: Right, I would I would agree. I mean, they eventually just kind of had to adjust to it. You know, it's something that you know maybe we weren't used to doing, but now we figure, well, we got to get our baits down a little lower in the water column than what we're used to. And uh, you're right. I mean, it, it, I was using weighted squirrely birds. I was using all kinds of different hellhounds. Like, like I said, well, even the medusas or even the bulldogs, then you can throw them all, but I'm sink down a little bit and then work them in. Where normally you got to work them in right away or you're going to be snagged up for sure. And, uh, that was a little adjustment this year and, uh, but it, it was fun. It was fun using different baits, different technique, a little bit, I guess you could say, and again, you're always learning and you never stop learning high water, low water, you've got to adjust and, uh, and put fish in the net.
0: So typically do you prefer a high water season or are you, or are you fine if we have low water? What's easier for you? I know some of those spots have to probably be get, difficult to get into if you're running too low water. Right.
3: I like low water just for the fact that the fish are definitely more in air, certain areas. One thing with the high water, they can spread out a lot. um they, you know, they can go pretty much anywhere when you got that higher water. But when you have lower water, it does seem like they definitely concentrate in certain areas and it's just easier to, to target them. But with that being said, some years, even when you have the high water, it seems like you catch more fish sometimes when you have high water. So it's just, I, I guess my preference would be a little bit lower water. But uh, again, one thing I've noticed too when you have real high water, you know, we get some flooding. This year was, like I said, consistently high, but other years, you know, when the river's low all summer, and then all of a sudden you'll get maybe, uh, let's just say you get a couple of inches, two or three, four inches of rain in, in, in like a week and a half or two weeks. Uh, what happens is all of a sudden you get that high water, it's almost like a flood stage for a couple of days. Well, then I'll start fishing in these same areas, and all of a sudden you'll, new, new fish will move in. Like, I think what happens is that water gets high, and it's kind of like a, a mid-river run where the muskies just run up, and they, they're in different holes now and it's, it's kind of interesting me how these fish move around and, and fluctuating river
0: water. Well, based on what I can tell so far this winter, it doesn't look like you're going to be dealing with low water to start the season out next year. You probably get, huh. what, two feet of snow already? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how much snow we had. You know, I was up a couple weeks ago. I was up ice fishing already, uh, the week before rifle hunting,
3: actually, and I went over the river. I, it was just amazing to me how high the water was, and then now we got all the snow. It, it's, it's definitely not going down anytime soon.
0: No, it doesn't appear as though it is. It's going to be another one of those kind of seasons. So one one other thing we talk about in the podcast a lot, and it's talked about in musky fishing a lot, is moon phases. Do you find that the river fish that you're dealing with are is likely to bite during a particular moon phase? Is that as important when you're targeting fish on a river in that shallow water that you that you make sure that you hit certain windows for those moon? You know, for the moon, are you on certain spots for the moon, or is it just something you're like, yeah, we're just going to go fishing all day long? there's going to be a window at some point, not necessarily so so heavy on the moon.
3: Well, so, I, I mean, every day every day before I start my fishing trips, I generally will always look at the moon phase or the night before just to figure out what time we're going to meet my customers and what time we want to be underwater. the water. One thing I've learned is, you know, I always follow it. And whenever we catch a muskie, I will always check where we're at. Are we in a major or a minor? Is the moon on your foot overhead? Those are things I always look at. So sometimes it seems like it makes Perfect sense. We got to be on the, the you know moon under or We got to. It, it's a major right now. The fish are biting. Boom, boom, boom. And some days, like I said, it it works perfectly. But then there's other days where you have these you know majors and you're not seeing any fish. And all of a sudden, you get that bluebird day and there's nothing going on, nothing going on at all. And all of a sudden, you might catch the biggest monkey of the summer. So it's always amazing to me. You know, on the river systems, I, I've learned that it, it's just kind of like deer hunting. You got to spend every waking hour out there you can to catch big fish or to see the big buck, and I've learned over the years that a lot of my biggest muskies that I I write down pretty much all the big muskies that I, I've caught over the years, a lot of them have been when there's been absolutely nothing going on. It might be a bright bluebird day, but yet it's 11 o'clock you know, in the morning, and boom, you catch that big fish. So I, I always say I spend a lot of time out there. You just got to be confident in what you're doing, and... I, I just, I, I think you just kind of keep fishing. That's all you can do. I, But I, I do follow the moon phase every day, so it's important. But at the same time, I think you can catch a lot of fish when nothing's going on at all.
2: I would totally agree with that. It, it's really interesting. If I went back and looked at a ton of pictures of, of the bigger fish that I've had in my boat, generally speaking, it's that bluebird day. It's sunny. It's usually calmer. It's really strange, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Wind can generate fish, but it, when it comes to big fish, a lot of times it's the days that you would think really aren't your classic musky day.
3: Right, for sure, for sure. This, the prime example of this was this last summer. Um, I was up with my dad up north. And I said to my dad, I said, hey, Dad, you want to go out in the river? I didn't with my dad all summer. You know, he's getting up there in age a little bit, so I try to get out there as much as I can with my dad. And I said, Dad, let's go cool musky fishing. He's like, well, it's not the greatest condition, but I, I had to agree with him. It was a bright, sunny day. But I wanted to get in the bowl with my dad. So we had a couple hours. I knew he could last for a few hours. And, and we went out, and I gave him a small bucktail. I said, Dad, throw this bait. I caught a lot of nice muskies on this bait over the years. And sure enough, right started the day, nothing going on. And uh, he ended up catching my, a nice 46-inch muskie within the first half an hour of the trip. And I, I mean, I don't know who was more surprised, me or my dad, because it was quite... Quite the uh, event. and
2: But a prime example of nothing was going on and we caught a big fish. That's awesome, though, that you get to get out there with your dad like
3: that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I learned a lot from my dad starting out. I started out fishing with my dad, and, and I, I tell anybody, we have a dad that loves to fish. and Sometimes you got to persuade them a little bit, but try to get your dad out there or somebody, your grandpa, anybody.
2: If you can you get along the water, even for a couple hours,
3: it's so worth it. It's so worth it to be able to spend some time in the water with your family.
2: Hands down, hands down. I know uh, Jeff, he actually uh, got to spend quite a bit of time in the boat this year with his daughter, so that was kind of a cool thing for Jeff.
0: I
3: did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, anytime, I have a couple daughters as well, and I know I have my best days in the water with my two kids in the boat, and it's just, it's fun because I can just sit back, and I let them, catch a fish, and I let them do do all the fun stuff that, that I do every day. And it kind of it kind of brings you back down to earth a little bit, and re- makes you realize what fishing's all about, really. And it's not always the biggest muskie; it might be that small bass, but boy, whatever to make
0: their day, and, and that's what it's all about. Hey, it's supposed to be fun, right? Right. Yep. It's supposed to be Brad, but it's not always fun. <laughs>
2: well, there's a few days a year, there's no doubt. But uh, you know, I, I'm pretty lucky. I mean, I've got a nine-year-old daughter, and it's pretty amazing i I was telling jeff um the month of june we uh i pretty much do the open water trolling thing and when i'm doing that my daughter will actually be an extra line for us in the boat and she knows i mean she she knows that she can't reel in the fish but she just wants to be involved and so that's pretty cool for me as well
0: no doubt so moving on kurt one thing we yep. haven't talked about was Green Bay a little bit. We'll catch more on the river if Brad's got some other questions talking about river muskies, but uh, okay. we haven't talked about Green Bay. How much do you get out to Green Bay? Do you guide on Green Bay? Is that something that, that you spend a lot of yeah. time out there?
3: Yeah. I, you know, so I, 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 spend, I, I spend all of April over there guiding for walleye just to get on the water early in the season. I love walleye fishing over there early in the season. Um, it's just a great time here to catch some big walleyes and, and good numbers of fish. Um, and then I just kind of been venturing, uh, doing some spring, uh, musky trips. I'm, generally, I'm over only just fishing the first week of the opener. Um, I'll chase the muskies on the rivers and just spend, again, spend as much time out there as I can. It's amazing over there. How some days you can just, it's such a phenomenal day. And then other days you really got to work, you got to work, work, and, and work some more because you can get frustrated over there really easy, but at the same time when things go right, it's just amazing fishery over there.
0: So you run running a different boat when you're running over there? Are you running your uh, your jet boat when you're over on Green Bay?
3: Yep, I'm running my jet boat when I'm over on Green Bay. Like I said, I'm just basically fishing the rivers and maybe go out into the bay a little bit, depending on the winds, always watching the winds, of course. Um, but I'm always just trying to, you know, stay in the river systems and, and cover as much water as I can. You know, there's every river that goes in, obviously muskies are going to spawn and you just got to find where those fish are at. and the whole key to it is just spending a lot of time over there.
0: So uh, did I see somewhere on Facebook at some point this year, you caught a pretty big one out of green Bay. Is that right? Yeah. I caught the biggest muskie of my life this last spring. Um, it was actually quite today. Um, started out in the morning.
3: We fished for a couple hours, hadn't seen much. Um, and I ended up catching a 52 and a half, which are, which are beautiful fish. And we got a nice picture of that one. We threw it back. And then not even an hour later, um, I was able to, I hooked into a big one. I knew it was pretty big with head shaking out there. And that one ended up being, I think it was 53 and a half, 45.1 pounds 545one I believe it was. And that was, that was a true giant. I've seen a lot of muskies in my life. And that was by far the fattest and heaviest fish that I have ever held or seen in my lifetime.
2: Congrats. Yeah. thanks.
3: You. Yeah. Thanks. Oh. Thanks. That was, that was a great fish.
2: I spend a little bit of time over there and I was over there this fall, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, you know talking about high water and talking about runoff and what have you. <laughs> Green Bay is going to be in trouble next spring, I think, uh, with runoff. I mean, the water is so high. <laughs> what, right. what do you is going to happen over there?
3: Well, that's amazing. Um, you're you're absolutely right. You know, you go up in those early in April. Last April, I was surprised at how high the water was, and now we even have higher water. It's going to make for an interesting spring. Um, I think you know a lot of fish are going to go up there and spawn. Yet, I think a lot of the walleyes. You know, they're going to go either spawn on a lake or they're going to run way up that river, spawn real fast and get get out of the river system. I like to have a little bit lower water, obviously, with the walleye in spring, just for the fact that they come up there, they do their spawning thing. And it's a slow process. But I believe when you have a higher water like that, a lot of times those fish, they come to those mouths of the river, they cruise up to the dam, they do their thing and they turn around. and They're pretty much heading right back to the, the current just pushes them right back to the bay. So it, it can make for a challenging year for sure. Um, but it's amazing, you know. You look back—what was it, ten years ago or so? The bay, the Green Bay, was really, really low. Everybody was worried that we weren't going to have any water for the people's docks and everything. And now we're at the point where it's like, wow, what are we gonna do going to with all this water.
2: Yeah, well, it's still a problem for the docks because uh they're probably not going to put them in.
3: <laughs> exactly, they, they can't win. They can't win. I, I
2: was—I <laughs> was flabbergasted, and I think I talked about it briefly on a, another podcast, but. We had uh, 40 some mile mile-an-hour east winds when I was over there in October, and it, w- it was brutal. I mean, a mile, uh, a section road, if you will, a mile away from the bay on the east side, or excuse me, the west side, and there was flooding there. I mean, it, it's amazing when that wind builds up out there, the kind of flooding that they're seeing. Um, right. A lot of houses underwater, you know, six, eight inches underwater. I don't know it's a
3: scary thing, right, and i, I and I also wonder what it's gonna do for the wheat beds you know for those muskies out in the bay are, are we gonna there going to be enough sunlight in some of those areas for those weeds to grow up next summer or are they gonna have you know bad bad growth and, and it's gonna be interesting to see how that, that all plays out in the next couple of years here.
0: yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's crazy how many different factors we need to we need to uh, take into account when we're trying to chase these stupid fish. Not only do we have to factor in the fish themselves, which can be a pain in the butt to start with then we got to try to factor in like you said high water weed growth where they you know especially on green bay because they you know i mean it's a massive it's a massive area i still always say it fish is kind of small compared to how big it is but right. it's always those yep. things that you need to keep in your back of your mind to try to check you know all sorts of different places it's right just when you For think sure you got them yeah. figured out you don't have them figured out Exactly.
3: I agree a hundred percent with that. You know, it's funny over the years, I fished a lot of different areas, different lakes and different, you know, the green, the green Bay, I fished, um, you know, River, a lot of lakes and stuff. And one thing that I've always tried to do is I always try to figure out the fish. I'm always thinking about what are these fish doing and why are they doing it? You know, and that's one thing that I've learned over the years. And, you know, a lot of guys, and especially the muskie industry, they just kind of go out and cast, you know, but one thing I would challenge any muskie fisherman out there is, you know, challenge yourself when you catch a monkey you know you take that picture you throw him back I always say you know think of, just sit back for a minute and think about why did you just catch that fish what were you doing what position your bullet what you know those those will make you a better monkey angler for sure uh in my opinion just a small detail stuff like that
2: I've always mentioned that it's it's basically a big puzzle and figuring out where each piece goes and it really, truly is all about the detail. And if you're one that pays attention to detail, you can go duplicate that and get more fish every day.
0: Right. I agree. I agree
3: hundred percent on that.
0: So Kurt, if um somebody's looking to get started fishing rivers, you got any tips, anything you can kind of point them in the right direction to get them maybe halfway started. I know, you know, we don't want to give away all the secrets cause we still do want people to hire the guides that we have on the, on the podcast. And again, we'll let, Kurt talk about his guide service at the end if anybody's interested in booking a trip with him but for a new person that's looking to just get started on rivers you got a couple a couple of tips to get them started
3: sure um one thing for sure that I would say is if if you don't have a boat you know the river's a great place to go if you don't have a boat there's a lot of access to public access places um you can can never go wrong on a dam if you can find any kind of dam along the Wisconsin River there will generally always be monkeys there it's just that's where a lot of the bait fish are and there's always muskies up at those dams. Um, so that's a great place to start for someone that, you know, maybe doesn't have a boat. Now, whether you have a, uh, if you do have a boat, you know, there's areas that you can get into that would use, use a prop, you know, 40, 50 horsepower motors and you, you're fine, but then there's other areas that are sitting water and you just got to take your time and learn those waters, maybe canoe it, kayak it, however you want to learn it. And then the main thing I would say as far as, you know, you, you can use small lures. Everybody wants to use, you know, big, big baits um, like Dream Bay. You're gonna go over. You're gonna probably throw cowgirls or showgirls or number eight, number nine, whatever. But when you when you fish the Wisconsin River, you can definitely get away with using smaller bucktails, smaller topwater. and that's one advantage is maybe it won't tire you out right away. You can spend a few hours fishing, and you're, and you're good to go. So the biggest thing I would say is just downsize. Use smaller baits when you're fishing the river system. You'll you'll, you'll catch muskie. Just and keep after it. You know, you gotta be persistent. You might not get them the first couple times out, but you're going to
0: get your muskies eventually. One uh, way to expand on that a little bit. So one thing I have found on rivers is sometimes you know a certain structure will be good for I don't know say today, tomorrow it it might not be. How much do you think that these muskies are moving in and out of those spots? How many? I mean, are there mo- are there many muskies using one spot, or do you think most of these spots always hold muskies? I guess I don't know how to say that differently.
3: Oh, that's a great question. I believe that those muskies, they're holding in those holes regularly. They're there all the time. You know, I'll go to these these spots over and over and over in different days, and I, you know, I'm fishing a lot long stretch of rivers. Let's just say I'm fishing 11 miles of river, but I'll go to a lot of the same areas. And what I think happens a lot of times is those fish just are negative. They're just not biting. They're there, but they're looking at your lures and they're just not going to bite. Um, then you go to that hole the very next day, and you might catch two or three fish in that same area. So I think those fish are there. It's just whether they turn on and off throughout the day, whether they're, you know, in the right right mood to eat. And they they do travel. I can tell you this that the muskies do travel, but I always believe those there are muskies in those areas. Whether it's the same muskie or a different muskie moving in and out. You know, I had a muskie one time we caught um, in in the morning, we caught it. We let it go. It had a it had a DNR tag number. Uh, the number was 138. So we caught it that morning. The very next day, I was out fishing and we were two miles downriver from where we had caught in that one. And sure enough, we caught that muskie again, two miles away at once. And that was in one day, 24 hours. So they do move. Not that, you know, they definitely move. But at the same time, I always believe that there's muskies holding in those areas. And generally, if there's one, there's multiple fish.
2: I've, I've got a question. So, you know, you're running, say, three, four, five inches of water. Do you yep. ever see those fish moving, you know, in that shallow water to the next hole?
3: No, generally because I'm going too fast, so I don't see them. I mean, I might see a wake here and there, so whether it'll be a carp or a muskie, you know, it's hard for me to say exactly what it is, but there definitely will hold in that shallow water. You know, and, and one thing that's interesting to me, and I tell this to people, and they, they kind of look at me funny, is it's amazing in late fall, when the water's pretty cold, how shallow we'll find muskies. We're still finding muskies in two, two three feet of water in, in late fall, and that's one thing that, you know, most guys think you got to be in deep water in fall, but to me, that's the furthest from the truth because we sure catch a lot of be shallow in fall.
2: Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, it, it varies. I mean, I'm guessing you don't have any ciscos in that river. You know, the patterns are going to be just slightly different than your normal lake pattern, I guess.
3: Right, exactly. We have a sucker, you know, we have a lot of suckers. And what happens in fall, you know, a lot of those suckers will push up on those real shallow areas in the fall. And that is one thing where I'm going through slowly I can see suckers swimming all over you know on the shallow flats and that's why I believe those muskies are in that they're just looking for something to eat. You know that that may be not where they live, but that's where the bait fish is and that's where they want to be to get their meal. Makes perfect sense.
2: All right. So as we wind down here um towards the end of this podcast, you know, Kurt, you're a full time guide and uh how can people, you know, I, I know that you're guiding throughout the winter as well. So, you know, it's it's winter now. Could we direct some people your way? I know you do some ice fishing, correct?
3: Right, yeah, no, I'm out on the ice as much as I can. Um, you know, obviously, I it was, it was, it have safe conditions. This year, I was uh, lucky enough to be out there already before rifle hunting, which are Thanksgiving, which is, is pretty great. Uh, a lot of times, we're not on the ice that early. But yeah, I, long as we have safe ice, and so we can get out there with the machines, and uh, we're chasing basically walleye, northern, uh, bluegills, crappies. And uh, we have great fishing. You know, I fish mostly north of Wausau, up to the Monaco area. Um, cover a lot of flowages, I love to fish flowages, using our locators and just covering a lot of area, covering a lot of water We have pop-up, ice and pop-up tents with heaters and whatnot, and I can accommodate groups of, you know, two to ten people, and we just go out, we bring the grill along, we just have a fun day on the ice, you know, it's all about having a good time, we try to do our best to catch as many fish as we can, uh, but at the end of the day, we just want to have fun, and uh, and that's what Wisconsin has to offer for ice fishing, it's just
2: a good time. That's good stuff. Do most of your clients stay at a hotel resorts? What are they normally doing when they're up in that Wausau area?
3: Uh, most most of my guys will stay at a hotel uh, right in Wausau. Uh, there's some real good, nice little hotels in the area. Um, generally, when they meet me in the morning, they're generally within five or ten minutes from my meeting from meeting me. We get started in the morning and uh, we get out in the water or get up on the ice and uh, we get our day in and catch a lot of fish and have fun.
0: So, Kurt, do you get do you uh, are you doing any shows this winter? to for guys to come out and talk to you if they want to see meet you at a show do you are you doing any this year
3: uh as of right now i think i'll be at the madison fishing expo and then i'm also going to be at the muskie expo um as of right now that's what i have planned so and i might venture out and and get to a couple more muskie shows um just depending on my schedule and how things go uh, throughout the winter um but yeah i'm always looking forward to meeting new people and just talking talking fishing and, and answering questions and just helping everybody else get, you know, get better at the sport. That's what
0: it's all about. So Kurt, one thing we asked in earlier podcasts quite a bit was patterning muskies. We are always trying to get people to help them catch more muskies. So if you're on a certain pattern for, let's just say yesterday, you were catching them on bucktails. Today's a new day. You're not catching them on bucktails. It's been a couple hours. How long are you going to stick to that pattern before you try to change something up or I mean, or are you going to be change, changing something up from day to day right away, just based off of what you see from that day? Can you kind of give people an idea, you know, how long you stick to a pattern?
3: Right. Yeah. If I go a few hours, you know, if I go a few hours and say we're say we're on a bucktail bite, and we we go a few hours, we're not you know, obviously we're going to change colors a little bit and this and that. But if we don't see any fish, I'm going to change it up. You know, if it's a if it's a tougher day, and we're not seeing fish, I will generally go to a glide bait. I'll just you know, right away go to glide baits, slow it down a little bit, and you know, hang that bait in front of their face and, and try to get them to eat. With that being said, there are days, though, I have certain baits or certain bucktails that, you know, if you stick with them long enough, you generally will, will catch a fish. And that's one thing that I do see in my boat a lot of days is, you know, and customers that have been with me kind of know this. You know, we might have a tough morning. We might fish three, four hours and not see a thing on a bucktail, but they know that those baits, they're confident in those baits and they know if they stick with them, they got a good chance of catching your muskie. And I do see that a lot, where guys will stick with a bait, and he will catch a muskie, and then I'll have another guy in my boat, and he might change five, six, seven baits, and he might not see a fish at all. So sometimes it's good to be persistent on one bait, but I, I agree with you, it's tough. When you're out there fishing three, four hours, and things aren't happening, you definitely got to change things up. And, and I'm, like I said, I like to slow things down. When, it, when, it, when, it's a, when it's a real tough bite, I like to slow things down. So... But like I said, when the bait, when it's going right, I will throw the same bucktail all day long. You know, that's one thing too, is I'll see guys that catch a fish, one fish, and then about a half an hour, they want to change your bait. And I'll say, ah, you got to keep that bait on. That's kind of a hot bait right now. And boom, half hour later, they catch another muskie on that same bait. So I I like, if you have a hot bait, I have no problem throwing that same bait
2: all day long. I would agree with that. And I would also throw it, you know consistently that week you know what i mean until something else changes and one of the things as i'm guiding what i'll do a lot of times is i might be the guy experimenting and i'm gonna have my clients using the stuff that i know has produced in the last days so you gotta experiment at some point but uh well yeah yep i agree
3: i agree 100 percent. i'll do the same thing i'll be throwing you know maybe out in the middle of the river or something different or just trying different bait just to just to try to find a new pattern you never know there's a hot bait that goes um this 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 fall actually one of my hottest baits which we hadn't used a whole lot was a curly sue from from suet lures you know uh the curly sue we we ended up uh you know it just got to be a hot it was a hot week we had three or four days in a row where that bait you, you, it was the best bait on the river for sure you know and had i not tried it and caught one i might not have never known that that bait was the one going
0: well i think that Pretty much wraps up tonight's podcast for the most part. Kurt, if uh, people are looking to get in touch with you for a guide trip, what's the best way to go about that?
3: Well, the best way they can do that is just contact me. Uh, My phone number is 755717132. Otherwise, you can go to my website, which is net, And then you can also follow me on on my Facebook page, uh, just Kurt Schultz from Wausau, Wisconsin. And that's the best way to
0: kind of get a hold of me. Excellent. To so Brad and Kerry, you want to talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle?
2: Sure, we can sure do that. You can reach us at uh, muskymayhemtackle.com or you can reach us both on Facebook and Instagram. And, and we're always looking for people to share pictures, to throw them at us. Uh, we'd, be, we'd love to share them on social media and just hear your story.
0: Excellent. And if you're looking to get in touch with Backlash Podcast, uh, email us, BacklashPodcast at com. You can find Backlash Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're looking to purchase some musky gear, whether it be custom colors or stock colors, check out Team Rhino Outdoors.com. We have you covered in a lot of stuff. And like we had mentioned earlier, if you guys are looking for gift cards, check out muskymayhem.com for gift cards. And we have gift cards available on our website also. So if you're looking for a last minute Christmas gift, even if it's Christmas morning and you forgot to get your dad, your brother, your cousin, your aunt, sister, mom, a muskie gift, go to Mayhem Tackle. print it, you know, just purchase your gift card right there. You can print it right there. So we can save you even if it's Christmas morning with a gift card. Uh, Once again, we just want to thank Kurt for coming out, spending some time with us, talking muskies, river muskies, something we don't talk a lot about on this podcast. Thanks again for coming out, Kurt.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. Great talking with all you
0: guys.
2: Likewise, man. If you're uh if you're at one of the shows we're at, swing on over to the booth. Love to visit with you more.
0: Sounds great. Thank you again for listening to Backlash Podcast. You guys all have a good night.
2: Good night.